Hello, Brandon. Hey, Tom. Can I ask a few questions associated with this evening? I just love large family gatherings and food and other related stuff, so I can keep <laughs> yeah. it within that line. Yeah, go for it. How many people? Did you cook anything special? Oof. What was the process? They did stuff, shells, salads, put out like uh, hummus and mm-hmm. vegetables and all that, and then... um. Uh, made uh, like I actually made like a double strawberry shortcake. Oh my goodness! Yeah, so you know, got all the cream and the strawberries and everything, and <laughs> did all did all that. And then I was I was painting as well in between. <laughs> so uh, yeah, yeah. Did you bake so, the cake? Yep. Yeah. Wonderful. Everything. Wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. Ev- yep. Yeah, it went pretty good. Uh, amount of people. Let's see. One, two, three, four, five, six. Seven and two kids. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I got a nice time lapse of my daughter eating an ice cream cone. <laughs> and she just can really like hold it. Oh, yeah. So, so I was like, oh, wait, time lapse. I, I tend to time lapse uh, quite a bit. So I was like, oh, yeah, I, I got to get this. <laughs> Wonderful. Wonderful. Yeah. And the yeah. stuff chills. Is this something that you do on a regular basis or is it a special occasions thing? Mm, that's when I'm lazy and don't feel like uh, making. Uh, nah, yes, not too regularly, actually. Okay. Usually, usually I'll do more like uh, something meat related, but, um, if I'm being lazy, I'll just do the stuffed shelves. <laughs> and I was, <laughs> I'm, I'm beat, so I was like, I'm doing Fair enough. Shelves. <laughs> yeah. Favorite stuffing ingredient in the stuffed shelves? Favorite ingredient? In the stuffed shelves. Oh, well, I, the ricotta, I mean, that's, that's my favorite ingredient, I guess. Um, uh-huh. so you just, you do it. Kind of classically, just with ricotta. Oh yeah, but I put seasonings in and everything. But I'll do ricotta, um, parmesan. Uh, actually, I used to do parmesan, but I'll do like locatelli romano mm-hmm. and then um, and mozzarella, and then mix all that up. But I love ricotta. Wonderful. Wonderful. Yeah, um, I love it all. I'm a slob. Anything special <laughs> in the gravy? Just a standard gravy, multi meat. What did you do? No, no meat. I didn't do any meat. Um, okay, interesting. Some people are, yeah, some people are trying not to do meat. I actually, you know what? I did use some um, <laughs> chicken broth. Ah. <laughs> okay. So I did that to cut the acidity, but uh, yeah. So yeah, it seems like everyone's getting more and more like, oh, we don't want red meat here, and we don't want this there. And I said, oh, fine. <laughs> don't tell me how there's no flavor. <laughs> so, but yes. no, it came out. It came out really good. So. Yeah, dude, the springs are going to bust off my scale if I get on it, dude. I'm telling you. <laughs> Very good. That's the way I like to record podcasts. For me, it was a um, tuna steak. Similarly, we're moving away from the red meat, unfortunately. So, fish, yeah. you know, tuna steak is a red meat, as far as I'm concerned. And, uh, yeah, and brown rice and some kind of long roasted broccoli that my wife likes to do. So that was oh, my yeah. dinner. Man, yeah, your brain pistons are firing on all cylinders yes, tonight. Yes, I'm a Californian. I'm a Californian this evening. <laughs> so we started, I, I've got to probably apologize for last week. I did a slightly rougher edit than I normally would do. I, there were bits that I probably normally would have removed. And also, I think I was clinically exhausted and you were doing a bunch of painting and other stuff. We came to this week and we both were in a similar mind that maybe we should actually drive the topics for this evening. But I thought, well, I historically you may not know this our listeners may not know this but for about seven years i recorded a podcast not like adding aficionados but at least a conversational podcast with another gentleman he would never provide any notes or anything i basically wrote up the entire podcast and then we recorded a podcast typically on a friday evening 
So to have someone and to have listeners supply notes and stuff is just a huge luxury for me. But if the worst came to the worst, I could probably generate an entire podcast just on crazy ideas and general topics. But yeah, yeah, I think we could fill some time Certainly. just just going on. You However, know, our listener Onion Eye, and I was sus- I thought Onion Eye might be you. Oh no, <laughs> you thought it was a hut. I thought it might be you. I actually stalked Onion Eye this week. <laughs> to try to establish actually who he was, he presented a photo of three G.I. Joe figures holding up a piece of cardboard with a bunch of listener topics on it. I thought, oh. we've got to go with listener topics. I think you were similarly enthralled by any nice listener At least um, the photo. With the yeah, at least the photo. <laughs> <laughs> Very uh, good. Hey, your Netflix mug is friggin' awesome. Very good. I'm yeah. Glad you've uh, uh, <laughs> yeah. Thank the you. one piece of listener feedback that we did get that I wanted to do was Tales from the Dark Side. Apparently, they the listeners that's collectively it. thought that that was what you were trying to do. That's totally it. As soon as I read that, I was like, ah, that's it, dude. That's it. Oh, it's so creepy. I don't even want to watch it right now. Yeah. Uh, so you're missing out in California. I don't, actually, I don't even know. But like tonight, it's like really cool outside and you oh can smell God. like fires burning in the distance. Oh, Ah, oh, so there's, there's some woodsmen out there yes. in the long night. <laughs> it's 92 here, and I'm feeling it. It's like the fires are burning around me currently. <laughs> A topic that we approached last recording that divided our listeners, well, at least divided two listeners, was associated with PB&J. And what I found fascinating was that our listener, Carmen Ceratelli Jr., was enraged by this topic because he couldn't believe that we could actually talk about PB&J like, basically, everything, every question that I asked, every aspect of my general instigation associated with getting more details on this, he just thought was offensive and that all the stuff was implicit. And if I didn't know how to make a PB&J, there was something fundamental. It was almost a question of my manhood. Let's put it that <laughs> However, a few other listeners, including Dave Smith, absolutely loved the PB&J discussion. And given Dave Smith has a series of topics that we touch on regularly. He wants us to make it into a regular discussion piece associated with a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. <laughs> He's got a series of questions. I've got a series of questions. I've done some deep research associated with this particular thing. So if you're not in the mood to talk about PB&J being absolutely stuffed, we can hold this off for another recording. But uh, he does have a number of questions. You can go ahead. Okay. Uh... I can't believe that you, you're never going to get that time back that you did reading on PB&Js. You do know that, right? Well, it's fascinating <laughs> to me. So when I lived in the UK, there were certain things that they absolutely loved. And one of those things was fish and chips. And fish and chips, they claim, is a molding of the south and the north, like the south of England and the north of England. The fish came from the south, the potatoes came from the north, and they made fish and chips. And there's this whole legacy associated with the First World War where... The people that were driving the machines, you know, the things building shells and stuff, needed a high calorific food and fish and chips. This was like the rise of fish and chips in the UK. Unfortunately, the history of PB&J isn't quite the same, but it's got various combinations. Obviously, the peanut butter was central. But the rise of a variety of different forms of it. Are you familiar with the fool's gold loaf? No. This was apparently Elvis's favorite food. It's made in Colorado... Oh, I want to say the Colorado Rail Company or something like that. It's margarine, not a favourite of margarine. Peanut butter, a full jar of peanut butter, a full jar of jelly, and I think probably about four pounds of bacon. They cook up the bacon, they cut open a loaf, they put in the margarine first, then the jar of peanut butter, then the jar of jelly, and then the bacon, cooked, 
seal it up. And apparently this is like Elvis's favorite food. Anyway, so I've done a bunch of research associated with PB&J. Dave Smith asks, how often does Brandon eat a PB&J sandwich? And what is his opinion on fluff? Fluff is like once a decade. I guess you could eat it. I don't know. It's okay. I don't really, I don't even look twice at it. Uh, doesn't taste bad. It's just, I don't know. It just yeah. looks horrendous. I have it. no interest in it. So I moved on very quickly to the frequency. How frequently do you uh, eat a PB&J sandwich? You know, there might be like a long spot where I don't eat it, where I mm. might be like, okay, I'm not eating it for like three months. Mm. But then I might eat like four a week sometimes. Mm. So, yeah, there you have it. <laughs> Another interesting statistic. The average American, I don't know how they do this, but apparently they find an average American, has consumed 1,200 PB&J sandwiches before they graduate from high school. Oh, yeah. Seems like a lot, but apparently that's... Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah well, I guess that's like the standard... Uh, school. Oh, I forgot thing. to pack my lunch. Go get it. Hurry up. It's like you're done in a second, you know? Yes. So in the past week, how many PB&J sandwiches have you had? I what's today? Saturday. Saturday. So I think I had one this week. Very good. Very good. Yeah, I had a lot of like chicken and crap this week. Hey. <laughs> yeah, and crap. Very good. Very yeah, very good. good. Yeah, after our discussion associated with chicken skin last recording, I, I ate chicken ex- skin. Yes, I I ate it uh, this week. There were chicken <laughs> legs for lunch, and I didn't even have utensils. I was like, I I, I gotta eat this, dude. I'm freaking starving. Welcome <laughs> so to painting. Yeah. Oh, dude, I ate it. So yeah, but um, but yeah, go ahead. Another Dave Smith question: What is your opinion of almond butter? Yeah, it's it's just like less tasty, more expensive peanut butter. Yeah. Uh, I guess it's supposed to be better for you, but so is everything else, oh, and less. it costs more. Yeah. It's okay. I'll eat it. Uh. It sucks, it's less better than for <laughs> scene. Very good. I'm, I'm going to draw this out for two more questions, Brandon. We're going to do it. Drink or snack of choice to accompany the sandwich? Milk. Milk? Yeah, milk. What percentage yeah. of that? Whole. Whole milk? Whole milk, man. There ain't nothing else. Yo, speaking of Lee Webb, you should see the worst coffee made in the universe by Lee Webb. It's like green. It's like the most watered down crap coffee. And then he pours like old skim milk after it's been exposed to like neon lights in his refrigerator. Oh, the from, like, that. Yeah. Oh, that. Dude, yeah. It's so gross looking. It tastes so bad but once in a while i'm like i gotta taste it again to remember it makes all the other coffee you have like incredible so it does mm. have its place in the world mm. our listeners want me to interview lee webb oh yeah they seem to think that like australians are a bit like cats if you put us together in a room there might be trouble so i'm a little bit hesitant but i'm up for it so pass on to the man himself that he's, he's, if he's interested in a special attic aficionados Australian, yeah. oh, Australian, or however you say it. Yes. Anyway. Uh, a quadruple the amount of milk per sandwich. So one sandwich is like uh, a liter of milk. Mm. <laughs> I don't think, I can't recall. I must have drunk, I haven't drunk whole milk in, I think, probably my adult life. What are you drinking? Are you drinking any milk? Yeah, yeah. What are well, you drinking? I'm fighting with my wife. My wife wants me on 1%. I'm on 2% currently. <laughs> No, it's so bad for you. It's like, oh, that sucks. Just drink the whole milk. It's so much better for you. I don't know. Look I at the fat on the side of the glass after you drink it all and tell me you don't want to drink it again. Just <laughs> I don't know. I've not drunk whole milk in like, I can't even think. I don't think I've even drunk. 
I must have been like 10 when I last drank whole milk. Did it's you? really difficult to get in Australia. And when oh, I got really? here, well, when I got here, there's this whole half and half. And I'm like, what's one half? What's the other? Like, it doesn't even describe uh, what it is. It's like it's half a- and half. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, man. That's, yeah. Do you remember a TV show called Alien Nation? Uh, no, not really. Tell me more. Well, I don't know, but the aliens would get drunk off of sour milk. Uh, That's what that was their like liquor. I don't know. Okay. <laughs> Good to know. Carmine Saratelli Jr. asks, "Who's the lineup to our dream concert?" Head head <laughs> headliners definitely Tom Petty. Mm. And then I'd like him to open too if it's my dream concert. And mm. then um, I'll just put. Uh, let's see who's in the middle. Uh, cool G Rap could be in the middle. Um, uh, him and Tom Petty and, together. They should perform a song together. I think. Oh my god, that would be awesome. Have you ever seen? Have you ever heard the? Well, have you ever seen the movie? But more importantly, heard the Judgment Night soundtrack? No. Uh, De La Soul and Tom Petty do Free Falling. I'm surprised no. you've never heard this. It's really. No. It's a series of really interesting bands that they put together. I'll, I'll need to get that to you. Because I've got it both digitally and physically, and it was really, it was important for me at a period of time in my life. I just started DJing, and I had a group of friends that I would DJ for, typically like they would rap and I'd DJ. And then I started working with this group of like crazy Pentecostal Christians. I was probably about 16 at the time, because I would play with anyone. I would DJ for anyone, Satanists, Pentecostals, you know, my dysfunctional friends, whoever. DJ. And the <laughs> album made me realize that it's actually more about the music than it is about any kind of well-defined view. But the Pentecostals were touring with them was unbelievable. You want to talk about Honeybait? This was an amazing experience. We'd go up to Sydney and we'd fill these halls. And between sets, because I was I wasn't a Pentecostal, so they would never put me on their soundboard. And I had to, like, DJ it with this kind of curious auxiliary sound. <laughs> and it was like a constant fight. So after maybe three or four songs, I'd just go down and dance. And I have never had that kind of reaction from... Because all the cool boyfriends of the girls that were there were all on the wall looking, you know, mean. Even at the Pentecostal concert. And I would come down and start boogieing in the crowd. And I would just have, like, flocks of young women around me at the time. I've never had what that year, experience before. What year was this? Oh, sure. It's got to be 93. <laughs> got to be 93. Anyway, that album came out then and it, it made me realize that it doesn't matter what you do musically. It's just all about the chicks. No, I don't know. I mean, it was just, just an album <laughs> that basically put together a series of really interesting musicians and they made really interesting music. Anyway, so yeah, Tom Petty has performed with De La Soul. And yeah. my view is, uh, yeah, you could probably do Tom Petty Culture Rap. What about you? What's your dream lineup? Uh, this Art of Rap concert, my wife gets really pissed off with me talking about the Art of Rap. I couldn't imagine, I mean, I would have liked to see Ice Cube and Public Enemy, and apparently Public Enemy toured at the next version, but it was an amazing, amazing concert. So that was, I've already been to my dream concert. And they had yeah. to shut it off at 11 at night. <laughs> They had, um, what was the uh, crossroads? Bone Thugs and Harmony played before Ice-T, and they went late on Bone Thugs and Harmony, and Ice-T could only do, like, three songs. He did do Original Gangster. I was, like, singing along with Original Gangster, which my wife thoroughly <laughs> enjoyed. But anyway, so, yeah, probably The Art of Rap would maybe a slight lineup change, but, yeah, that was my dream concert. Carmine also asks, what's the weirdest thing you have ever seen in someone else's home? <laughs> I don't know. I don't even know where to begin. 
Saw a guy step in a bowl of lo mein one time. I thought that was weird. Step in a bowl of lo mein? He he stepped in a bowl of lo mein with his sock. But that is not even... (laughs) That's not not even anywhere with what we're saying, but that was sort of weird. Why? What have you seen? When we came to buy our house... like I'm not sure about you. I'm not sure how many houses you've bought or all this kind of stuff. This whole experience associated with buying houses is always really traumatic. And we burn out the realtors. When we do this, typically. When we were in Vegas, we saw a house that had a dungeon. Like, clearly some kind of bondage sex dungeon. And it was oh. like a regular suburban house. Go through. They converted the garage into, like, a medieval torture chamber. And I thought to myself, as we went through, we were both... I mean, we'd seen it all. We'd seen homeless people that had started fires in the centre of houses. We'd gone to houses where all the copper piping had been pulled out. By the time we walked into the dungeon, my wife just looked at me. I looked at my wife. We walked out. It was just like, <laughs> we've seen it all. We don't need to oh. know what goes on here. Yeah. It had a smell to it as well, which was the other thing. But we don't need to talk oh. anymore about that. Well, of course, it can't be like a Dungeons and Dragons dungeon. No. <laughs> would no. that be awesome? It would. A skeleton so awesome. suit of armor, you know, some swords. I'd be down with that. Not like padded handcuffs and other stuff. Like, anyway. you know, what, what are the odds of even finding a dungeon? It's got to be like... Why can't it just be that? How many dungeons are out there? I wonder I if someone know. has like a Dungeons and Dragons dungeon. Yeah. Somebody what got it. What's doing our basement like that, actually? Our basement, because <laughs> our basement has like a kind of secret passage element to it as well. And some of it was like burrowed out into the earth. I could do, I could see doing our basement actually as a Dungeons and Dragons thing. And it really freaks people out too. Like it's seriously haunted in terms of like general perceptions associated with it. So. <laughs> <Anyway>. <laughs> Carmine also asks, coolest animal to scale up to the size of a horse? Mm. An eagle would be pretty cool. Mm. There's a fantasy creature called the rock, spelled R-O-K, or a rock, which is an eagle that has the wingspan, where each of the wingspans is probably the size of a horse, but the pictures are always of it picking up horses and flying away with horses. So, yeah, that's a cool critter. Cool critter. That would be pretty cool. We have, have you ever played a high lie? Have you ever held like a high lie? No. Uh, what is it? A, I don't even know. A high lie handle. Have you ever held one of those? I'm not sure what it is. You know that sport, high lie? It's like you always see them playing it in Baja, California. High lie. Yeah, Describe I think it it's me. like it looks like you hold you you got a you got a handle like the handle of a sword or any handle in your hand, and then there's like this uh, cone shaped thing that kind of hooks out to the left or right. It's like a scoop. Mm-hmm. And there's a ball in it, and you whip it, and uh, oh. and it bounces all like off a wall, but it's like a really hard ball. Certainly. Yeah, they, yeah. You know that thing? Yeah. You, I've I've never even seen um, I I I've seen a toy one the other day, and I was mm. like, I've never even held one of those. Have, do you ever we, see those out there? We played lacrosse in school, and lacrosse is like that, except you're right. It's lacrosse is two ha- a two handed version of that, basically, isn't it? Where you've yeah. got like a, a scoop thing that you fling the ball with. Yeah, 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 yeah. I guess it sort of is. I never thought about that. I don't know. I never see anybody play that. I guess because it's like a one-man thing, so mm. not many people get into it. But It's like squash with more force because you've got something that you're actually projecting the ball with, I guess. What's the difference between squash and racquetball? Um, squash? That's pretty interesting. Maybe squash is just what we call it in Australia versus racquetball. Uh, well, I think it might what? be a different size paddle and things like that. The rules are clearly different, yeah. 
I used to deliver pizza and I went one time to this business I was delivering and like I walked in there like, all right, wait here. We'll call down so-and-so to get the pizza. And I look over and there's like this company's got a, a it looks like racquetball. And mm-hmm. I asked somebody what, like they just got a racquetball thing here and they were like, oh, that's squash. And I was like, <laughs> but then, you know, I never got an answer. Like, what's the difference? But the the rackets looked smaller to me, but I don't yeah. really know racquetball. But, yeah, I don't know. It looked awesome, dude. It looked mm. so awesome to play. I never played that. Mm. That would be freaking awesome. How did we get from large animals to here? I'm just not sure. Was there a large animal crossover or were we just like picking out topics? <laughs> I'm just picking out topics. I don't the, know. The topics are so boring. We're just going with our lives. Very good. <laughs> You had some good topics. Um, Further down. Yeah. Why don't, yes. we, why don't we move through the list of the topics? Let's move through. Let's quickly. move. I'm getting excited for. for uh, yeah. Good. Okay. Go ahead. Uh, let me see if any of these are. I feel kind of obligated to ask on your nice questions. Okay. Con- convenience store stories. Do you have any favorite convenience store stories in your repertoire? No, I just, you know, they used to have these um, football helmets that you'd get out of the gumball machine. Mm. And for a while, the convenience stores would carry them. And it was cool because the gumball machine, if you wanted to collect them all, you would, you know, you put a quarter and you get one, but you just had to randomly get it. So you had like so many doubles, you know, and mm. uh, then they started, they would put them up in a box and they bagged them. They were in like these little white plastic bags and you could, you could actually like kind of stretch the bag and see what team was inside. So it was awesome. But that's like I don't have any convenience store stories except I do like Hostess used to make these Ninja Turtle pies. I don't, mm. They were like dyed green. They were just basically Hostess pies yes. um, with the glaze on the outside, but they dyed like everything green, and it had Ninja Turtles on it. So of course it was freaking cool. But uh, oh, those are some some pretty good uh, fun times <laughs> in the yeah. convenience store. Why do you? You do probably have any- yeah That's Adelaide. Adelaide, Adelaide convenience stores. stores. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah. The main memory I have of convenience stores. I mean, obviously, the U.S. is the home of convenience stores. The Australian equivalents, although historically they're getting better. I mean, they're moving towards it. I may have told you this. I think when we first talked, I talked about the advent of liquid cheese in Australia and the fact that there was a convenience store beside the place where I used to work. And when they got the liquid cheese machine, this to me struck me as like the most like. American food, the quality of American food is hard to understand. Like, I mean, you, you talk about hostess. Hostess is difficult. In fact, when my wife first went to Australia in 2009, we took maybe four large boxes of Twinkies just to explain to Australians what hostess was, because no one could believe what a Twinkie is outside of the US. So all that convenience store food never filtered to Australia. It's just not practical. But when they got a liquid cheese machine, I remember, like, the big unveiling of the liquid cheese machine. <laughs> Went in, got a hot dog, moved it under the liquid cheese machine, drenched it with this yellow goo stuff. <laughs> and that was like, okay, convenience stores have come to Australia, finally. But yeah, Australian convenience stores are slightly different than American convenience stores. And really, they didn't exist. I mean, there were gas stations, or punches of gas stations. But the actual convenience store phenomena is really an American, and obviously 7-Eleven. I mean, 7-Eleven is uh, certainly in this part of the world. Anyway, so that's the convenience store. I don't really have any convenience store stories. And, you know, a second question, Japanese animation. Mm, I've never really had an interest in it. Mm. 
Yeah. Oh, it seems like a lot of my friends that are into the action figures and stuff like that, they're like, you know, they like it. But um, Star Blazers was cool. Mm-hmm. I guess that's Japanese animation. That's older, though. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, Shogun Warriors are cool, but I never watched a Shogun Warrior cartoon. I've never even probably mm-hmm. seen one. Uh, and Fist of the North Star. I think everybody liked that, that mm-hmm. I know. But that's like it, I I don't like Voltron. I don't even know if that's mm. Japanese animation. I guess it is. I, I don't know. So, so one thing that you have commented on, and certainly we'll get to the discussion associated with the toy show a little bit later on, but for me, Robotech is oh, yeah. central. And Robotech is, I think, maybe three three Japanese animation shows they took together, rewrote completely, and then produced it as Robotech. And my perspective on Robotech is actually really interesting because it is a seminal, for me... I would go, I don't know, it was on at like 6.30 in the morning. It was on basically at the sunrise period, early morning. I would go down and watch Robotech religiously because the plot was really very interesting, but had been completely recreated from plugging these things together. But yeah, I have a particular love of Robotech, but aside from that, no. And in large part, it's because when I went to university, there was a guy who was absolutely obsessed with Japanese animation, and he would, like, literally forcibly sit me down to watch these long sagas with, you know, animated women bouncing around in next-to-no clothes and all these kind of things. It was just like, it didn't really... It wasn't the same as Robotech for me. Does yeah. Robotech have a particular place for you as well? Yeah, Robotech's cool. I don't know. They had, they had like, cool toys that came out, and um, I don't know. That's, like, the first time I remember seeing, like, you know, little dudes driving these giant mech warrior type things you know it's like i thought that was cool um i actually just came across i you know i looked them up i I gotta look them up again and find the name of them but there was like a series of these figures and um Mm. they actually had like a little tiny guy and you put him in it's not robotech it's like Mm. this is from like 80 and i remember Mm. getting these i think i still have the boxes but i'll i'll look into it and get it but yeah i always liked robotech it was kind of i don't know it just seemed cooler like japanese animation i never was like (laughs) <laughs> I don't know. I just there's something about it. I'm like I, there's nothing I like. I just don't. Yeah. I just, of course I do. Uh, you know, Star Blazers was like the coolest thing. So mm-hmm. I'm kind of like contradicting myself. But mm-hmm. I thought that was so cool. But like, um, what's the what's the uh, Dragon Ball Z? You know, mm, or Dragon yeah. Balls? Whatever. My friends like yeah. love that. I'm like, this is not for me, dude. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm like yeah. I just don't. I don't know. I don't know. So. The Zen yeah. Prodi for me, in terms of being large and misunderstood, like, they always have, I guess that's the sticking point. The other stuff, the Robotech Masters and things like that. Actually, I do like some of the nihilism of just, like, a guy with a motorbike, like, riding the open roads. I mean, it's basically uh, Mad Max-esque or all these other yeah. games that we talked about. So I like <laughs> those elements. The Invid were always a bit strange for me, but um, the Zen Prodi is where it was at for me. Large and misunderstood. <laughs> Kmart memories. This is another onion eye question. Oh, I think we've done this a million times. Have we? In any oh. depth? My memory's <laughs> no good, so we may have talked about it many times and it just doesn't seem in the forefront of my mind. Uh no, I don't know. I I know I heard today somebody told me that they were closing like three more Kmarts mm. like right around me. I know there's like mm. last I looked was like six hundred and some Kmarts left. So I'm like, oh, come on, dude, hang in there. <laughs> but, yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't know. There's so many Kmart memories. Can we skip that one? 
I will cut my lawn mowing memories. I'll put them aside too. Yeah. Okay, let's move on. Let's move through these list of questions. Uh, <laughs> favorites, condiment, uh, movie director, beer, Dave Smith. Okay, I'm going to humor Dave Smith here with these because this tender. is for me. Yes, the goaltender. Tom, where have you encountered the most friendly, forward thinking, and open minded people and the contrary? My view is they don't exist. Like, my view is this whole notion that there's some place in the world where there are a bunch of people and it's, like, the most amazing place in the world. Humans just fuck things up. I mean, that's just my general view. I like living in south of Manchester in a place called Wilmslow. On a good day, living here isn't too bad. I even got fun out of living in Vegas, but all these times are just me hanging out with my wife or reading or, you know, making music or doing something that I enjoyed. And the place that you are in the world is completely secondary because basically humans just have a way of fucking everything up. And that's just my sentiment. Um, oh, this is another Dave Smith question, which I did want to talk about because this is a topic that I enjoy talking about periodically. Longest you have ever gone without food? Probably not that long. Probably like mm. two days. Hmm. That's it. You've had the benefit of, of living, like, in relatively normalized conditions, which I have not had through various parts of my life. I know. So, <laughs> my first experience, seriously, well, my mother went through a period of time where we weren't allowed to eat anything with any form of carbohydrates in it. And that basically, I don't know, I must have been 11 at the time. Oh. Anyway, let's move on from that experience. The second time was in a place called Elands, which is in this novel I periodically reference called Field of Chaos. And there um, we pulled our money together, my friend and I, who will come up actually a bit later on in this recording. And he disappeared with all the money that was supposed to be going for food for like 14 days. Mysteriously, he comes and stays with me and we are still good friends, even after this experience. But he disappeared and I was literally in the middle of nowhere with no food, nothing. And I survived like that for about six days, just literally eating roots and just <laughs> surviving in that experience. There were various experiences in Australia. Like there were periods of time where I just had no money. And it was really quite disturbing because my family lived in the town that I lived in as well. And they had no sympathy to the fact that I was living with no money because I was choosing to pursue this whole software thing. And this was while I was at university. I was studying as well. So that was the first experience after Elands. And then when I lived in this country, initially, everything dried up for me. Basically, the fellow who was paying me to be over here to recruit for him and do a bunch of tech things for him, he got into this whole mess with Wozniak's people and the whole thing just collapsed. So I had about four months here where I had no money, like literally no money. That's the period of time where I met my wife, actually, which is why when she came over, she would always bring food and cook for me and things like that. But yeah, I lived on next to nothing through that period of time. And when I moved to the UK as well, the Leicester YMCA, there was a period of time where I had nothing there. And in Vegas as well, there was a period of time where I sold my army and did various other things to try and fill in the gaps where we had no money. But yeah, I've gone through periods of time without food. And it's something that is just central to my life, perhaps a little bit too central to my life. Uh, but it's certainly not how I live currently. And... My love of food is a double-edged sword, just put it that way. But yeah, it's based on long periods of time. And particularly when I was out in the middle of nowhere, it was very, very strange to be out in the middle of nowhere and just have no food and no means of getting food. And I walked for a period of time and I was able to get some 
some sustenance eventually and a series of things. But yeah, you learn how to survive very quickly in these circumstances. And I kind of mapped that experience onto other periods of time in my life. Anyway. Well, uh, so when you went like the longest mm-hmm. without food, can you remember uh, any of those times? Can you remember like what you ate that, that broke the uh, non-eating? Well, you know? uh, in the wilderness, I was living off roots for a period of time. Then a guy turned up and... I think the first thing I had was a pasta dish, which I was able to cobble together because I he had a hut, literally. And we went down to his hut, and for whatever reason, he let me cook. And I made a pasta dish with some spirulini and zucchini, and he had a little bit of cheese, which I grated up. And I basically made a pasta dish, and that was absolutely divine. And then, um, because when you have no food for long periods of time, like any food is just blissful like literally deliriously hallucination blissful and then a couple of days after that my friend returned and he brought back steaks of all things so i then had a steak after two odd days and that that really was psychedelic i mean it was unlike anything i could ever imagine having you know not eaten for periods of time but when my wife knew me initially I was probably surviving on, I mean, when I say no food, I was surviving probably on 500 calories a day. And that was very, very extreme. So I would do things like occasionally, we're talking about milk here. Occasionally I would go and buy milk. I had, I was surviving on probably about $20, maybe $25 a week through that period of time of food. And it was just a really bad time for me. And I was stuck in the US. I couldn't legally work here. I couldn't do anything. I was just waiting to work out how this thing was going to work out to get me out of here. Um, but as it was, you know, was next people put together some money. I arrived in the UK and just basically started eating. I lived with my father for a short period of time and just ate everything I could get my hands onto. It was surreal because I literally got on an international flight and then arrived in the UK. For that period of time, I was like Buddha-like thin. Like I could literally feel my spine through my you know, stomach and back. It was really very, very curious. But I don't live like that anymore. And it's a very strange period. I mean, this was also the period of time where I met my wife. And it was a period of time where I... My wife is very (laughs) food-centric. It's something that she takes a lot of pride into and she, like, really loves to cook. And I think it's probably a motivating factor in terms of being married and these kind of things is because I know, I mean... There have been periods of time where we haven't had a lot of money, but we've always been able to eat. And she's very cunning associated with how she gets these things organized. Whereas for me, I guess, because I'd lived for periods of time without food, I knew it was kind of secondary to a bunch of other things, which was, you know, developing technology, keeping all this stuff together. I don't talk about a lot of my time with Wozniak because there were bits that were really very bad and very curious. And my view is there are some things one just shouldn't need to talk about. One of the things I did do was I did work for food over that period of time, which is probably the lowest point in my life, because to be a skilled worker and to have to work for food, I worked for this woman building a website for her, and she paid me in two-day-old pizza. And she was a multimillionaire. She has a huge house. I'd go in, I'd work this website, and she was supposed to pay me in food because that was the arrangement. And she gave me a two-day-old pizza that her son, you know, had just discarded. So this was a period of time in my life associated with really psychologically rebuilding who I was, what my priorities were, how all these things came together. Because 
I'd lived my dream associated with coming and meeting Wozniak, and I had a bunch of, like, I had an article written on my work which basically got me to this country in 99. And it was a very, you know, long article associated with the work that I'd done in Australia and all this kind of stuff. But yeah, it was a turning point in my life, that whole period. And certainly meeting my wife and just like being comfortable being a schmuck, like not investing all my time and all my energy in doing a bunch of things that were just secondary to living and surviving and all this other stuff. Like, you know, a drive which was disconnected from reality. Let's ask another. Let's go on to some other good questions. When you come here, <laughs> mm-hmm. we're getting a proper pizza. <laughs> I've already worked out where Las Vegas pizza is. Don't yeah, you worry going. about that. No, you're go- we're <laughs> I've going. already worked that out. So I'm staying, I'm staying uh, about a mile from there. My wife is going to do a bunch of other stuff. She's always wanted to do Pennsylvania Dutch and a big thing, but we'll get to the road trip a little bit later. We'll talk a little bit more about the pizza. Anyway, moving on from this. Um, <laughs> this is another topic. <laughs> we're from, moving on so fast, though. From Jason. Oh, if you want to dig in, <laughs> let's dig into my sad, pathetic life a little bit more. <laughs> what other questions do you want to ask me associated with this time, Brandon? Well, before you do Pennsylvania Dutch, mm. you got to watch the movie Witness. Even if you've already seen it, just mm. watch it before you go and do the Pennsylvania Here's Dutch. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. My wife is getting, my wife recommends movies to me on a regular basis. And I just like, yeah, we'll watch that sometime. We do sometimes watch it. The frequencies that I've, of movies that I've watched based on your recommendation currently is a sticking point in my marriage. Because <laughs> you recommend movies to me and then within a week I will typically try to watch it. Although I'm holding off double impact. I watched the preview with my wife. I thought there's no way I can watch this in a civilized fashion with my wife in the same room. So I've got to find an ideal move, moment to actually watch Double Impact. So, yeah, don't don't make her watch that. It's horrible. You'll never get the time back. But if you watch it, well, if we meet up, then uh, maybe we'll get a bunch of the guys together because it's it's great to pick out every uh, every awful point of it. <laughs> so yeah, but you'll never get that time back. Never, ever. One final <laughs> Dave Smith question, which I did want to talk about because I thought it was a really deep and introspective question. Name some movies or music that have made you cry. Oh. <laughs> well, Napoleon Dynamite, but that was like crying laughing. But Napoleon Dynamite, was, I saw that by myself and then went and got my friends and was like, you're going back to the movie theater and watching this. Wow. <laughs> I was like, you guys are coming with me. I think I, yeah, I took, uh, I think I took Gunner and Lendon. I was like, you, mm. I, I think they were the two I could find. And I was like, we're going right now. Just I'll buy it. I don't care. Watch Whoa. this movie. <laughs> you rate Napoleon Dynamite that highly. Oh, yeah, dude. That thing was so awesome. I was like, I went and saw that by myself. Yeah. And I saw No Country uh, for a moment by myself. Oh, yeah. And then I got, I took Quan and I think I took Lendon again with me oh, for that. And I was like, this movie's freaking awesome, dude. I was like, just, just watch it. Just watch it. And they were both like, so Lendon to this day is, we quote lines back and forth, you know? Interesting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, no Country for Old Men is certainly a film that I'd rate. And I think in particular, I just love the border town part of it. I mean, I think that whole country is so underrated in cinema. Like, there's so few films that really cover that area so, as well as it does. But yeah, Napoleon Dynamite, not so much. But maybe I should watch it again. Maybe I should. No, maybe dude, I should give it a go again. I couldn't even control myself in that and, like, just dreamt about it. I was like, this is the this thing i've seen it so long yeah, yeah i watched it over and over but yeah that's that thing is freaking awesome um yeah uh yeah i don't know yeah your turn <laughs> um, more seriously the only movie i've ever 
cried in, I think, was, and it's a strange movie, was Saving Mr. Banks. And the reason that I found it impactful is the woman in Saving Mr. Banks, it's a story about the woman who created Mary Poppins and how she works with Walt Disney to actually make Mary Poppins. But she's a very particular kind of woman. That woman is my mother's mother. That woman is my maternal grandmother. My maternal grandmother had died, I think, maybe a month before Saving Mr. Banks came out. And to see that movie, just... My grandmother is an interesting character in my life because she's someone who has never trusted me, never treated me with any degree of existential respect, put me down in almost all situations... But she's my grandmother and I love her. And, but the thing about her is that she she's so particular. She was so particular as a person. And even my grandfather passed away maybe th- two, three years before she passed away. But my grandmother just gave him hell for the majority of his life. And I have a very interesting relationship because a lot of my grandmother's qualities are also in my mother, mysteriously. But to see Saving Mr. Banks for me was cathartic because I thought I was a strong advocate for my grandmother through at least the latter part of her life, at least her, like, letting down some of her nonsense, some of her, like, controlling nonsense and some of the stuff that she did, to the point where I would just joke with her. Like, although she was dead serious, I would actually make fun of a lot of the stuff that she'd talk about. And a number of family members got quite offended by that. What was interesting was my grandmother went deaf. I always talked too loudly for my grandmother. So whenever I was in her company, she would always tell me to just be quieter, be quieter, you know? But when she went deaf, I was the only one because all her children had been quieter. <laughs> Everyone around her had been quieter all their life. I hadn't. I hadn't shut the fuck up. I was like, keeping my voice at the same <laughs> level. And she was the only, like, I was the only person that could communicate with her where she would understand me towards the end of her life. Very <laughs> curious circumstance. My mother spent probably the last six months with my grandmother. I didn't go visit because her deterioration was slow but progressive. Saving Mr. Banks is about my grandmother in terms of every possible little neuroses, every possible kind of control. My grandmother was a brilliant woman, and she was a very skilled drawer. She had a biology master's degree. She could draw anything to an amazing level of detail. She never did any of that. She basically was a housewife for a majority of her life and spent most of her time doing really curious things very, very well. So she wrote her own... Well, here's the thing. My family's dead against computers. Like, absolutely, like, it's difficult to imagine how anti-computers my family was. When I was about 14, 15, 16, 16, 17, 18, that period, the last three years before I went to university, I got my grandparents a computer, and they hated it. They told me off. They said, well, you gave me this, you know, this stuff, or they didn't want it. My grandmother then wrote her family history on the computer after a period of time. Like, it just was there for a period of time, and then she got into it, and then she bought all these manuals and stuff and did that. So, yeah, Saving Mr. Banks, just about the archetype that was my grandmother. Oh, all right. I'm going to check it out. (laughs) It's a very strange and particular film, and also, my wife is a Disney-file as well. So, that's the other part of this, is that there's the Disney element, and my family would never understand Disney. I mean, to this day, including my brothers, none of my family has a Netflix account. They just have no interest or any inclination that there's any benefit in pursuing any aspect of my work. But, uh, yeah, the Disney aspect of it as well I really like because my wife, consummate Disney file, again, the antithesis of my family. So these two things, like my wife on one side and then (laughs) my matriarchal grandmother on the other side in this film. uh, (laughs) Anyway, my very particular proclivities. Let's, um, 
Dave Smith's got like health questions, <laughs> what have you. Let's move just straight into the movie of the week. Do you have a movie of the week for Dave Smith, and then we'll get onto my topics? No, dude, I haven't even like turned the TV on. Mm. Uh, I watched another episode of Snowfall. Um, I haven't been, yeah, I haven't watched any movies. Um, you know, I started to put a movie on too the other day, and then I said, "Oh no, I got to catch up on Snowfall." So I like Snowfall because I can basically fast forward. There's like three parts of the show going on, and mm-hmm. I just fast forward through everything except the one part I like. So I can watch a, an hour episode in like twelve minutes, which That's is great. I handle the Sopranos. I do exactly the same thing with the Sopranos. I'm not yeah. interested in the therapy stuff. I'm not interested in the family stuff. I'm just interested in him with the guys. That's yeah, if they could just make the Sopranos of him with the guys, that would be my perfect thing. Yeah, as soon as I see Paulie, I'm like, okay, Definitely. stop and play. I know it's going to be good. <laughs> <laughs> what he was is. the guy's name with the long hair who who liked Tony's Fabio. wife? Fabio. Not, fa- not no, Fabio. It's not. No, not Fabio. <laughs> it's, 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 it's not Fabio. <laughs> well, my, 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 welcome to my Saturday. It's it's <laughs> it's not Fortino. It's uh. What is it? It is an F, though. It's definitely. Oh, we talked about this, like, literally in our first yeah, second recording. I know. Uh, don't be looking it up online either. I'm not going to. Don't do it. We're going to work through this thing, Brandon. You and me. You and me <laughs> and the listeners to this podcast. We're going to. We'll just <laughs> say it was Fabio for the sake of the what, both listeners. Like Fabio, though. Yeah, it is an F. What's it's, uh. What's that term? Furio. Furio, Furio. it is. It is Furio. Yeah. Fabio. Yeah, I liked when he was there. That was pretty good. Yeah. He's a good character. And then they just sent him away. I was like, oh, come on. Yeah, it's interesting. Of the Sopranos characters, I poorly... The guy's still alive. He's still producing comedy, you know? Oh, really? Yeah. I was watching yeah. something where he was he was doing stuff with the... Um, my mind is not good. With the therapist and also who's the wife in, in Goodfellas. They yeah, Lane Barco. Yeah. Yeah. Aye. Aye. She's Aaron. another one that had like every possible thing she had a kind of gin she had a pasta sauce she just like all these sopranos folk that just had a list of stuff that they had anyway <laughs> that's so awesome movies uh, movies movies, movies. I, I had a series of them and i want to recommend this is a very curious film i like it because it's it's done in a particular way it's called down terrace it's a very particular uk movie associated with it's basically like the sopranos in the uk but all the characters are ridiculous. The circumstances are very strange. But it has a very strong amateur dramatic component to it. And I just love the folk music as well. It's got amazing folk music. I saw, if we're looking for a vintage one, I saw All the President's Men, and I've never seen that previously. And I saw that through the week, and I thought, that's probably worth noting. One film which isn't worth watching is called The Messengers. It's a 50-minute train wreck movie about podcasting. It is the worst thing you will ever see. It's just like really, really embarrassing and kind of cringeworthy associated with this media that we're speaking to you, our listeners, currently through. Horrible movie. (laughs) Tom. (laughs) Dave Smith's Book of the Week. Shall I ask you, Brandon, or shall I just continue on with my Book of the Week? And then we'll get to my topic. I was reading a manual to install a certain sort of light fixture, and wow. it was thrilling. <laughs> it was electrifying. Your turn. Illuminating. Illuminating. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> the Algerian War, 1954 to 1962. It's another Osprey book by Martin Widrow and Mike Chappell. I think Mike Chappell does the drawings. This is the book which is the archetype. If you look at all the jihad wars, the Algerian war is the start of it. I'm going to recommend two movies as well. 
both on Mezzarine, M-E-S-R-I-N-E. If you like French films, if you like French gangster films, if you like French bank robbery films, if you like French terrorism films, the guy who it's based on, it was based on a real bank robber in France, started by interrogating people in the Algerian war. I would recommend this book for anyone that's interested in how this whole thing started back in the early 50s. Where we well, if you want to be like me, just get the movie because the mo- both movies are awesome. Oh, you like Mazarin? You like those? Oh, oh yeah, they're freaking awesome. I have yeah. both of them. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yes. Did you find they're... those in the wild? How did yes. you find those? Uh, I don't know. I just came across them. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. That was years ago. Um, and then I guess I bought them off eBay. Usually I buy, buy discs off eBay. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, both are freaking awesome. And watch it with the subtitles. I don't even yeah. know if there's dub overs, but uh, no, there's no just dub. Read, it's the subtitles. Yeah, yeah, just read the subtitles. It's it's awesome. Uh, yeah, dude, that movie's freaking. Both of them are awesome. I like yeah. the first one better, if I remember. Yeah, Ooh. the first one's better. Interesting. Yeah, I'm on the second is... one because I like the fact when when they kind of tie up the reporter and then you know that to me. But there are a series of archetypes in that that I like in particular. But you know, they're both well worth. Watching. Both are awesome. Yeah, yes. both are awesome. Yeah, what they tied him up in a cave, right? Yep. Was that in a cave? Yeah, dude. Yes. Oh, dude, I'm gonna watch those again. Those were freaking good. You know what? So many times I'm like, I get to, I'm telling somebody about a movie, and then I'm like, now it is subtitles, and I'm like, I should just start with that because everyone's like, oh, I'm like, I'm like, come on, man, I hate reading more more than anyone else. All similar genres that I love. Have you seen Carlos, which is both a film and a series of like they broke it into like four hours which is associated with carlos the jackal yeah i didn't watch it i, I see it, it. no I've, I've gone past it and seen it and then i never watched it though interesting you might like is it that good film. you might like that film similarly the bader complex which is about uh the germans but they create a terrorist group and again these are all based on true stories right but just the quality and a lot of the sensitivities in French and German filmmaking, I just absolutely love. And I love stuff in the 60s and 70s done with that sensitivity. And certainly Carlos and Bannermeinhof are exactly in the same. Carlos, I've seen both in the miniseries version and the film version. I slightly prefer the miniseries version, but it's almost impossible to get. You might be able to get it on disc. But Bannermeinhof and Carlos, well worth seeing. Well worth seeing. That's cool. Um, what about movies in the theater? Like, is there anything coming out or like new oh, releases coming out? You know, like, is there they anything were, in the theater coming up I that went you're to waiting the movies, for? I went to the movies with my wife and there was something coming up in October and we both looked at each other and said, yes, let's go see that. Oh, my goodness. You are really testing me here, Brandon. I'm going to need my entire week to come back to that memory. Okay, yeah, my that's wife cool. And I, my wife and I went to the cinema recently and we saw two films where it's like, yes, we have to see that. Um, there was another film associated, I'm, I'm a big fan of drug running movies. I absolutely, I mean, blow, but there are so many drug running movies. And, um, there was another one like that where I thought I'd probably like it more than my wife, but there were definitely two that we saw. We were just like, yes, we've got to see this film, these films when they come out in the cinema. I will get back to you shortly on that, Brandon. Okay. We are now into my topics. So to fill in the gaps for our listeners, Brandon and I have been communicating through the week associated with a road trip. And also associated with a particular toy convention that is going to be happening in New Jersey. So I have a series of convention and road trip related questions. And I also wanted to put in folks coming to stay. Let's start with the conventions. You go to at least six a year, right? I mean, you go to quite a few conventions per year. 
Yeah, depending on there's actually one in October, like right mm. up the street here, called Retrocon. I believe it. It's an Oaks, PA. But I'm just going to that because it's close. It's not mm-hmm. really a toy convention. It's but it's my buddy went. He was like, it's awesome. Just go. It's like a low price. It's good to get in. And I was like, yeah, cool. I'll, I'm down. But um, yeah. The, if there's if if there's conventions around, I'll I'll definitely go and check them out. I won't go that far. Like the Jersey mm-hmm. one's probably the farthest I'll go. And um, we were thinking about going to the, the Javits Center um, Comic Con, but it's it's just so hectic. I said, nah, screw it. I'll just go to Kmart yeah. that day. You know? Yeah, <laughs> yeah so you know it. My experience with conventions, I've been to one. Actually, that's not true. When I was a kid, in fact, this is what really kicked me off onto Toy Soldiers. I spent very limited time with my father through childhood. But one of the things I did go was I went to a toy soldier convention that was held in my hometown of Canberra, not Adelaide, but where I actually grew up for most of my childhood life. And that was interesting to me. But the one toy soldier convention that I went to in the UK, I should have just gone to all of them, but I just didn't. I was in a different space and different mindset. But I was also on like a weekly basis working with a series of painters and people. So I felt like I got what I needed through toy soldiers through these communications, basically. But I went to a convention 2004 and I met all these people that I've been corresponding with. And it was really very overwhelming for me at the time because we were about to leave to come to the US. Uh, But that was pretty cool. So when I talk about conventions, I talk about train conventions, which I do because of my thing with model rail radio. And they're slightly different for me than your conventions are for you, Brandon. But I, one of the things I love talking about when people call into Model Row Radio is associated with the strategies that people have with conventions. When you go to a convention, do you walk the floor first? Do you have an anticipation of what you're looking to buy? What, what's your whole notion associated with approaching conventions strategically? Yeah, you know what? I try not to... The smaller it is, the less closely I look to make it last longer. <laughs> so I'll go through and kind of look over there and I'll look over there and I'll walk around. That's almost like I'm not really looking because I'm like, oh, it's going to be over in like an hour and then I'm going to have to wait months again. So I go with a like a couple friends, but but one in particular always likes to get to like the early bird to see like, mm. it's like oh, you got to get, get the stuff that's like the best deals right away. And I'm like completely disagree. I'm like, there's no best deals right away. It's cheaper at the end if you want to haggle because everyone's holding on to stuff. And it's not like everyone's going out to get the same thing. I'm like, who even cares? So, um, but yeah, I like to kind of just, um, I don't know, not look too hard right away if that makes sense. And I'll, mm-hmm. I'll just kind of go through everything and then I'll save like one area and not go there for a little bit and be like, okay, mm-hmm. like two hours in, I'll go. Like the one you're, t- well, the one I'm talking about going to, it's usually like, it was one, two, three. It was four rooms. It was really awesome. And the last time we went, it was three rooms. It was mm. actually two rooms because mm. w- w- one of the rooms is always like a game room. And then it's mm-hmm. like, um, I don't even know how to say like a uh, Warhammer room, mm-hmm. but it's not just like Warhammer. There'll be like um, Magic the Gathering going on, like all the tables set up, Nerd any kind of table. Pursuits. Yeah. yeah and it's, it's cool. And they actually had like, it was really cool. They had all these Hot Wheels tracks set up. And they were racing them like four, mm. four cars at once, six cars. And they had like laser things like for the finish line to, you know, <laughs> I was like, but like not many people were doing it. But I was like, this is freaking cool. So I was like, I'm bringing a couple cars next time. But um, it, yeah, it, it was it's, you know, it's still like a lot of times the convention I'm going to like RetroCon isn't isn't exactly what I'm looking for. So with the toy con, I kind of mm-hmm. like try to 
space it out and I'll, I'll go before, you know, like I'll start and I'll dig through some bins, you know, just looking for stuff. But, um, yeah, I don't know. It switches. I guess it depends on what I'm going for. A lot of times I want stuff that I can destroy, mm. you know, so I'm not looking for like that super rare thing. But of course, you, it's so cool to see all these like uh, there's toys that I have. And I don't know what they are. And I go mm. and I'm like, I'm like, dude, who is that lizard lady? I have her. <laughs> like somebody will be like, oh, that's like a fishing price adventure release. And I'm like, yeah. oh, my God, I didn't even know that. It's so cool. But um, yeah. I don't know. I kind of I, I like to space it out, you know. Mm. But dude, you're gonna love that convention. You'll you'll definitely find stuff there. You're gonna be like, dude, this is friggin' awesome. You Wonderful. Know? Yeah. Wonderful. So when you go, I mean, one of the things I know with the folks on Model Royale Radio is that lots of them they go to a convention a year. I mean, that's the thing with the train shows, and they plan for months associated with what they're looking for. Some will go with physical lists. Some go with mental lists. And the ones that are strategically going, as you say, these early bird specials things, which I agree, never real, but they will always go there just in case things get sold out. And that's their motivating factor is to get there and make the purchases. When you go to these conventions, I mean, for me, these train conventions are exclusively about meeting people. I did find a few curios, but they were picked up very quickly by other train people. So for me, I just like wandering around. And um, the train conventions for me in particular, if I talk to someone, people will turn around and go, you're Tom Barbele, Model Rail Radio. I love that show. <laughs> you know? And that for me is why I go to train conventions. It's purely associated with meeting people. And my favorite thing to do actually is to meet a group of people periodically and then just walk the show with some of them and then meet others through walking the show. And then sometimes I know a lot of the like vendors and stuff and they'll come and talk to me as well. And I typically go to the nationals and then I go to smaller regional shows. The smaller regional shows are not like the nationals. People don't listen to podcasts and the smaller regional shows. And there's a whole lot of really expensive crap, which really pisses me off. Like the notion that people will get trains that are like three times used and then charge more than they were originally sold for because they're now vintage trains, even though they're just basically crappy old plastic trains. <laughs> that really irritates me because it stops people from actually getting into the hobby and it's all false economy crap. So, yeah, I just walk the shows. And the worst experiences are when I walk the shows and I don't meet people I know. Um, I go to a couple of local ones that are just really bad. And usually I bump into people I know through that. But for me, these conventions are social. They're almost exclusively social. And sometimes I go there with explicit meeting points and meeting people. And I always like organize meals and I work out like where there are diners near the conventions and things like that. So we can pull groups together and that kind of stuff. When you go to these shows, we're going to get to this a little bit more, a little later in the recording. Are you like, do you meet people or the people that recognize you and this kind of stuff? Or is it all like anonymous in its... Yeah, uh, no, I, you totally meet people because, um, mm. it, it, you know, the I, I, there's always people to talk to. Uh, mm -hmm. Sometimes people recognize you, but there's always like, you know, what's cool about it is like they're so helpful. Like I'll be like, I'm looking for this. And this guy will be like, oh, dude, this guy's got a table in that room like three rows over. Mm. And he had one at last convention and his booth yeah. is here this time. I'm like, this is unbelievable that you know that. But I that is just really cool. And it's like. You could really just be like, okay, I'm looking for this, 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 find it on eBay and get it probably cheaper, but it's no mm. fun, you know? Yeah, no, and exactly. it's, like, it's like, it's so cool. And, um, I don't know. It's like, I, <laughs> we're always like, 
I guess the people really like doing it because I'm like, I can't understand how they – some people, it's like you got hundreds of things set up and I don't know. I don't – it doesn't look like you're selling anything. You mm. know, I'm like – but it just looks fun, you know, mm. and um, I, I don't know. But I ended up also at a um, – it was more of a uh, model railroad convention. Mm-hmm. It was all trains. It was like mm. down in Delaware, but it was like billed as a toy show, you know, but mm-hmm. it was it was like 80 percent trains. But when you come out this way, uh, we'll check out the Nicholas Smith train shop. Um, yeah, I was looking that up. Actually, I was looking up all the stuff that you've mentioned. The, the smelly bookstore that you mentioned, which bookstore is that specifically? Dude, I don't know the name of it. Like, <laughs> I, I'll... Is it in Westchester or is it outside of Westchester? It's probably a Westchester mailing address. Okay. Uh, but it's, so on, it's the on the out- outskirts. It's yeah. on the okay, outskirts. I know which one you're talking yeah. about. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. yeah, it's a shame they closed this other good one. Um, Is it in a barn? Because there's one in a yes. barn. Yeah, okay, I know which it. one you're talking about. Exactly. Okay. Easy. Uh, oh, yeah. Okay, cool. Um, that's so funny that you know that. <laughs> Believe me, I have, been, I have been periodically, like, through the week, the nature of a road trip for me, we might just get to the road trip and then we'll go back to fifth guests coming to stay. I just, I miss having road trips like i used to have road trips and through work and life i'm just not having any road trips so i'm going on the mother of all road trips before i actually get to westchester and then the mother of all road trips back my wife had planned it out so it was going to be five days where we were driving some 700 mile days i was just like no we're not doing 700 miles days we're doing at most 500 mile days but a majority of them are 400 or 300 miles so we just worked all these towns out basically to traverse the u.s so That's I will cool. be thoroughly road tripped by the time I reach you. I will have many, many road trip related stories. But uh, yeah, for you, I mean, when you go up to Deer Camp, you road trip up there, right? Road trip by, you mean drive or stop along the way at other places? Well, you drive, but do you stop along? Well, you drive for a start. Let's start with that. Yeah, well, definitely drive. I, yeah. yeah, and I can't stand flying, but we, we, um, we drive and uh, we, I, we hate stopping. But some people have to stop and oh, like knick knickknacks and peanuts. Oh, I see what you're and saying. Right. Urinating. And I'm like, let's go. It takes long enough. And uh, because you want to maximize the time in, in, in deer camp. So, uh, so you don't, you don't have favorite stopping. I mean, how long, how, there, how many, how many hours is from where you are to deer camp? Like seven hours. It's not that. Oh, bad. it's not that far. No, but it's, oh. um, Every time we've stopped, there's been nothing good. One time they stopped and we're like, oh, we're going to have breakfast at Dunkin' Donuts. I was like, no. Oh, no, it wasn't Dunkin' Donuts. It was like Pizza Hut or something awful. And I was like, I'm not eating that. And everybody who ate it was like groveling in the car. I was like, even Lee, even Lee ate it and was like, oh. He was like, I guess I shouldn't have eaten that. And I was like, <laughs> I was like, so you right, you fool. But yeah, I like to just get right there. Um, but that's just, you know, deer camp. Deer camp, mm. as Art calls it. I call it hunting camp. Mm. <laughs> I've never seen deer up there. <laughs> no, he calls it I beer have. camp, actually. Beer camp is what he really calls it. So. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, yeah. anyway. Um, so, yeah. in terms of road tripping, that's probably the longest that I know of you doing in terms of, like... I had another question, which is not about road trips, but just associated with your family vacations. When you would go to the Jersey Chores area, the you know, what have you, the boardwalks. Were you there for a month or were you there for a week or what kind of time frames did you head out there for? 
Yeah, for when I was younger, it was a week. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, interesting. Only a week. Interesting. Yeah, sometimes we went – when I was real when I was really young, we went two weeks. And then mm-hmm. we would start doing like a week here mm-hmm. and then come back and then do another week towards the end of the summer. Um, mm-hmm. But as I got older, we just went for a week. And then um, – but then once, you know, you get your license, we would go for like a day, you know, <sighs> at the shortest and just drive down for the day or drive yeah. down and sleep in the car and then, you know, stay another day. So, Yeah. I slept on the dunes a couple of times too. It's crazy mm-hmm. um, sleeping on the dunes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was fun though. It was, it was yeah, comfortable. No, definitely. definitely. Yeah. Uh, in Australia, I've slept on the. But you can't do it now because of terrorism. Funnily enough, but how about I've like slept snakes the, and stuff? Well, no, I slept on the grass of the Houses of Parliament. I spent. Oh. Uh, I, I had the Theodolite at the time. Re previous aficionados. And yeah, I slept on the house of the grass of the House of Parliament, and it was really strange because the it's a huge structure and it's all grass basically over the actual Houses of Parliament, which are underneath. Uh, and to wake up and see dawn and just to think, wow, I've slept here. And they didn't turn the sprinklers on us as well, which they have an option to do in certain circumstances. But yeah, I did a bunch of camping, and uh, it's the spiders more than anything that uh, you become very intimate with. There's a spider called the Huntsman in Australia. Which is about as big as, like, I'm looking at my hand and saying, it's about as big as my hand. I don't know how big your hands are, Brandon. But, um, it, uh, I don't know, what is it? Like five inches across? Uh, and it's a big spider with big bitey things. It's not poisonous, but they can leave bruises when they bite. And you just have them all around you. Like, just everywhere would they be these spiders. I used to take photographs of them with matches just to show how big they were. But I woke up one morning with an abdomen over my eye, and it was one of these spiders, and I just literally cut my hand and just flung it, basically as fast as I could. Oh. But yeah, camping in Australia was just completely different, and the ticks and the leeches and all that other stuff. But yeah, you just get really used to like having flies in your mouth and just like all kinds of stuff that you have absolutely no control over. Great place to visit. <laughs> yeah, sounds like it. Anyway, for me, road trips for my childhood were just central. There's no place in Australia which is less than two days' drive from any other place. I mean, it's just like everything is... Distances are much larger. Even though it's the size of the US, it's not very well populated. So you've got half a dozen cities, basically, and then long driving distances between. Road trips were such a large part of my childhood that when my wife first came to Australia to visit, she wanted to do some of my childhood road trips, which we did, which was very extreme and quite an experience. Because you, you're driving through desert for, you know, two days. And the gas stations in the little towns run out of gas. So ah. you've got towns that are six hours apart. And if that town doesn't have gas and you haven't gotten gas in the town before, you're screwed. My favourite is my brother and I were doing some driving. Same trip, but my wife and mother were driving and I was driving with my brother. So, you know, brother bonding, wife. Mother-in-law bonding. And we came into this town, and there were two guys outside the front of the gas station drinking beer. Like, gas is Tuesday, mate. It's Wednesday. Just like, very good. We'll just keep on driving, man. Thank you very much, you know. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, Australia is a very different place for road trips. But as a kid, anywhere, I mean, the closest place from where I grew up was Sydney, and it was four hours road trip away. The coast was about two and a half hours road trip. But anything in any direction, Adelaide was two days road trip. Brisbane was two and a half days road trip. So you'd be in the car and most of it is, well, to say desert, it's kind of scrub. 
but you just look out on these planes forever. And the interesting thing is actually speeding. As a child, I would always notice, like, the adults speeding and how they'd kind of talk themselves into speeding. <laughs> and my wife got a speeding ticket in the middle of Australia doing... It was a $300 speeding ticket, so she must have been doing at least 30 miles an hour above the speed limit, which is still pretty high. Yeah. And the irony was, when we went to Adelaide, we ran out. we nearly ran out of gas. And we have on these things where the first town we went to didn't have any gas. The next town we went to didn't have any gas. And the car started making, like, strange noises. And because you're in the middle of nowhere, you've got to wait, you, you, like, counting into the town. So when you get to, like, 10 miles, okay, that's walkable in a day. I can get into the town and get gas. Then you get four miles, okay, I can walk it back. That's easy. One mile, okay, now we're there. And, yeah, the gas is open. We could get gas. On the way back... Through this exact area, my wife just like gripped the wheel and started speeding. Like this whole thing had left a really bad experience <laughs> on her mind, and she just had to get the hell out of this part of Australia. Uh, but the cop was just unbelievable. He pulled us over and he said, oh, "What did he say? Something about how my wife had made a face. Like normally, my wife would have no, but she was just in shock. And we were in the middle of nowhere. I mean, this is a horror film, quite literally, being pulled over by some police officer." That's trying to make small talk in the negative <laughs> We just paid the fine and got the hell out of there as fast as possible. Bribery bribery isn't really an option in Australia, and the speeding tickets are sufficiently large that they're like bribes anyway. Did you... So all your road trips were literally two, three hours as a child? Did you go on any major road trips? No. Hell no. Interesting. No, that's it. Interesting. So, yeah, for me, the culture of road trips is, is very central. And usually... I think the most road tripping we did actually was when my mother was here and we went to the Grand Canyon from Vegas, which is only a couple of days. We've not really done any serious road tripping. In the UK, we did day trips, basically, in a whole series of different directions. A funny thing happened to me in the office this week, (laughs) as these things happen. I work with about five different teams at Netflix, but one of the teams that I work with is the iOS UI team, which basically designs all the UIs for the iOS app at Netflix. My team is, I think the youngest person's my manager, who's about 37. And most of them are in their 40s, somewhere through there. And almost all of them know Art. And Art is a guy who comes to D&D night. The Webby Peppers are pretty infamous. But these kind of things, and, you know, it is what it is. So recording a podcast with you is just like, oh, yeah, Tom's recording a podcast with Art's friend Brandon. They're (laughs) of a wrong generation. They don't, like, your prior work. A few of them have heard a couple of movies. That's about it. The UI guys are all in their 30s, early 30s, most of them. And through the week, they have a manager who is a jokester, constant jokester. When he first started at uh, Netflix, he always made fun of Noble Ape and he'd like throw it into various things associated with Strange Monkey Simulation. Anyway, he refers to me as Tommy B. And actually, we've got a naming thing coming up as well, which we might tie into this. And I said to him periodically, that used to be my secondary DJ name. Like, when I did DJ work normally, I went by DMT. Now, DMT is a psychedelic drug, but I started using this name when I was 13, and it was short for DJ Master T, which was basically my DJ name. But when I was in chill-out rooms, I would go by Tommy B, and I'd play a wide variety of music. The track that I put in called Quintillion's Beam is very similar to what I would do when I was Tommy B. 
So he kept on saying, oh, you know, Tommy B and what have you. And I said, look, I'll just pass you a track. So I passed him the Quintillion's Beam track. He loved it. He thought it was amazing. And he showed it to his team without, not to my knowledge, went into a meeting with his team and they were all like treating me with like new respect. It's very strange. I mean, I am a schlub in this world. My wife doesn't like me using that term, but you know, I'm 40. It's all going downhill. There's nothing going on here. But the whole thing with, with the music was they were all really into the music. And I said, they said, what, what was it called? Cause they're all younger guys, right? They didn't live through the nineties. They don't have any, they're like, Oh, is it called trip up or what have you? And I said, no, look, the way it is, is it's a CD on a shelf. You know, you've got a, I wasn't ever into genre. I just made music and I did it at nightclubs and what have you. And then one of them said, is it the real Brandon DiCamillo? And I need to point this out here. The Attic Aficionados thing that I put it in, it's in the Attic Aficionados directory. So when I circulated the music, it was through Attic Aficionados. So they just thought, oh, Attic Aficionados, what's that? And then I went back and I saw your name. These people are rabid fans of your prior work. Absolutely rabid fans. So if you ever want to sell out and pimp yourself at Netflix, I've got at least seven guys that will co-sign in an instant for you. <laughs> they are rabid oh. fans of your work. Oh, really? So, yeah, yeah, it was really cool. And they were like, they referenced all the stuff. And I was like, yeah, you know. And they were like, how did it happen? And I was like, well, you know, art. Came, and the thing about art is, I've got another question about art further down. When I first met him, he was very angry. This is 2007, <laughs> right? Are you just was, sending images to my head of this? Yes, exactly. Steaming. Yes. Yeah. He had a lot of raw energy. And he and I actually, we butted heads a number of times. I mean, Ted was more the voice of reason in these circumstances. Yeah. But through the period, like, I have a very strong, this whole period of time where I wasn't eating in the US was when I was working with startups. I worked with a number of startups and I worked with Wozniak's people. And you've got to put your whole energy into it. Like, Art had a huge amount of energy, but he wasn't putting his energy into Gamecaster, which was the thing he was working on at the time. He, like, wanted to do it, but he wasn't willing to, like, put all boots and all commitment. So I remember <laughs> having a series of, like, really drawn out discussions with him, like, you have to commit to this thing. You've got to do it this way. You've got to do it that way. And he'd get more angry and kind of build up. And then Ted would walk through and say something and just like everything would go back to normal again. <laughs> but <laughs> describing the trajectory of how we first started communicating all these kind of things. And the guys at work are just like in awe that, you know, we were recording our podcast on regular basis. So we've got a bunch of additional Netflix related fans now to this particular uh, yes. recording. Oh, that's awesome. Oh, yeah. And they I, uh, were really, really, really co-signed very heavily if you ever had any interest associated with doing anything uh, at Netflix, because I think the fit is certainly, the potential is certainly there. But we'll get to it in good time. As you dude, think. yes. Yeah. Oh, I'm down. Uh, dude, I love Netflix. I love the shirts you gave me, dude. They, I sleep in them. They're so comfortable. Yeah, I, I wear them frequently myself. Yes. So. Oh, yeah. Well, thank you. That's very flattering. Uh, anyway. that And you know what else I want to ask you is how you met Art. That's I, oh. I didn't, you know. But so, I actually didn't know if you met Art first or Ted. And then I was like, Well, this is where it gets interesting. I think probably it was Ted. Here's how it happened. So just around the time, just before Gamecaster happened, I was doing a podcast, funnily enough, with a group of kids. They were kids. They were 18-year-olds. University of Mississippi, and they had a podcast that I thought they were funny, but they just didn't have a work ethic. And I came in and I did the full production for them for six months. And I also created a 
I don't know, even with this publicity engine and all this kind of stuff. I basically refined their podcasting chops and got them into producing podcasts on a regular basis and got them a following and I did music and stuff for them as well. And they were like in, within the top 10 of iTunes. Like they taking like a raw idea and then making it into like the podcast in a particular space. But they were really difficult to work with. They were really, really difficult to work with. And they had all these crazy stipulations associated with stuff being radio friendly and all this kind of crap. And they were constantly refining my, you know, like you have to do it this way and that way. And I'm like, get get to where you need to go and don't be utilizing me. Because I was already getting the folks together. I mean, they had a few things together, but they just weren't really there. And I thought, well, I don't know what it was associated with Ted in particular. I think I've had some correspondence with him associated with some stuff. And I was just like, I really, the work ethic that you guys had in terms of just the things that you did in a variety of different levels, I've always really appreciated. And because I already had open email with Ted, I was just like, can you guys, can you give any advice to these kids to get themselves together? And Ted introduced me to Art, and Art was starting Gamecaster then. So I gave a lot of kind of consulting advice, particularly when he was trying to move into video and the website and all this kind of stuff. But originally, Ted and I had good... I mean, Ted was fascinated by the Wozniak stuff and all the background history of that. I could also get Australian beer, like, really cheaply. So I just like, okay, I'll I'll send you some beer. And uh, I sent him some T-shirts and some music and stuff. And we started corresponding. And then he's like, he got me working with art. And then you got in the mix, obviously, because you were on Model Rail Radio. I'm not even sure how that happened. Like, that whole thing is fuzzy to me. That whole period of time is fuzzy. I have a Twitter <laughs> account that I created at that time. So I have all these people that I knew then. But the main thing was I was at a period of time in my life where I'd just come back to the US. I was looking for startups and things that were of interest. And I really, I liked a lot of Art's energy. I just thought he could be more focused to get Gamecaster working. And he took it in a series of different directions. And I remember, because I was, I was working at this place that was out in the middle of, it's in the desert, but it's right by Las Vegas airport. And I remember having this conversation with Art associated with the domain name for Gamecaster. And he just wasn't, like, I appreciate, now I've met Art. Art, how many years on, is a completely, I'm a completely different character. I think we're all completely different people now. Time has done wonders to us all. It's <laughs> softened us in many different ways. But at the time, I was like, why can't you just get this thing together? Like, you know, why do these components are easy? Just put this thing in this thing. Anyway, so that was my relationship with art. But I really, I mean, in terms of, like, when I was in the UK, your stuff had just, in fact, just before I got to the UK, um, I have a friend called Doug Rushkoff, who actually wrote the article on my work that got me to the US initially. And he was on CNN talking about your stuff early on. And then I was like, okay. And then I got to the UK and then I watched your stuff. So I have knowledge of your work. And, um, I just really like the fact, cause I used the stuff that you did early on, I used to do in Australia. We all used to do as kids in Australia, you know, <laughs> but the difference was we didn't have video cameras and there were all these trajectory things that didn't really come together. So I was always really interested in that stuff. And then Ted and I started talking and then Art got involved and then there was Gamecaster. And then everything simmered, and then Art got back in contact with me. Like, I think Art and I have always had similar mindsets associated with certain things. But the, the, in parallel to all of this, obviously, I've done 10 years out of podcasting. Art contacted me because he was going to get a job in the Bay Area. And I said to him, you've got to, you've got to 
get a proper salary. (laughs) This is no joke. This place will kill you. And then he came, he got the job, he came here. And, um, yeah, and then there was D&D night, and then that happened, and I was like, you know, that was like, oh, I'm contacting Brandon about the Soy Soldiers. I was like, why don't we get this thing together, like... And he's like, yeah, this, let's get this thing together. And that's how Attic Aficionado started, based on this long trajectory of stuff. Because I think Art has... I don't know if he's ever really... Fo- he got uh, that's He got into some of my podcasts, that was it. And I think he got interested in this whole podcasting thing. Because obviously, I mean, Gamecasts are... You guys recorded for at least three years. And you did a variety of different stuff with videos and stuff. But my obsession is with production and getting just, like, frequency and listeners and just making it a self-fulfilling thing. And I think Art was very receptive to that. And he certainly was very receptive to that because, you know, these things, he tried to do it. I mean, he knows how difficult it is to get an audience together and do things through podcasting independently. So he was certainly very receptive to the work that I'd done previously. And I think he was just interested in you, you know, enjoying stuff. (laughs) Like getting out there and, you know, reconnecting with a bunch of people that clearly... I mean, your fans are, my fans, I'm self-deprecating in all circumstances. So the model rail radio folk will, and I've also had really bad, like, stalker fan experiences previously as well. So I have a series of, like, views associated with how this thing has to fit together. But your fans are very different in many regards than my existing and historical fans. But they all seem to be really, I mean, I've, I've not had any problems associated with, with your prior fan base that have come to this recording and i wasn't really anticipating any the worst experience i had in podcast terms was when i did a wargaming podcast and the wargamers are just completely nuts like they are seriously (laughs) deranged nuts a small portion of them most of them are normal folk but there are some psychos out there and when i did a gaming podcast when i was producing for these kids it was strange too i mean mainly just like really inappropriate (laughs) emails from these curious characters but yeah your prior fan base who have come to this thing are, when you um, say um when you say wargaming are you mean you mean like warhammer like war mini- video games it was it was, Miniatures. A, it, was a, it was a miniature gaming pod it was it was a strange podcast the guy's still doing it but i did a review of a book an actual game an actual game system where it wasn't that I wasn't particularly positive, it just had really big holes in the rule system. Like, I come to this from a mathematics background, basically. And it was a game where you were... It was an insurgency game. It's a modern game in Iraq, basically. And there were no rules, like, literally no rules associated with the insurgents. They were like ghost players in the game. So I gave a negative review to that game, and I just said, there's no way you can play this game. It's not a playable game. And the guy had sponsorship from a fellow who ran a magazine where that game was one of the games that he would get magazine advertising. And he basically shut me down. And he said, you know, you can't do this stuff. And I'm not interested in this editorial nonsense. And I'd already dealt with, like, these crazy stalker fans through that podcast. It was just like, that was a podcast where it was easy to say goodbye. But in terms of something where I was fascinated and deeply involved in the hobby, it was a bit distraught kind of experience to back away from that thing. But when I have these things where I'm working with people and something's not working out, I walk away like very <laughs> readily and it's a very easy emotion. I, it's strange to me how easy it is for me to do that. But in this circumstance, it was easy to walk away. And more recently I've, you know, walked away from certain things when it's just not right. But Dude, it's, it's so me. funny. I, I, 
I forgot. I knew this guy who painted miniatures. I totally mm. forgot about that. And um, this guy Tom, I used to play him in Mortal Kombat. I never knew he painted miniatures. Oh, and yes. I was like standing in line at a Halloween, um, like a hayride, and he ended up being next to me. I haven't seen him, dude. I haven't seen him for like eight years. So we're talking, and I was like, "Was I never knew what he did?" And he was like, "I." painted them for this shop that sold them that was like his main job mm, and i was like yeah. i have not seen him in forever but he had like oh man that's so funny i was i but you were talking about i don't know just the miniatures and paint but he he um i saw some of the stuff he done it, it was uh man it was it was freaking awesome but um so yeah rare to i don't see know it in the world. <laughs> I mean, I, yeah. I always reflect on american virgin that's no, it's not called american virgin well the 40 year old virgin that's the only time i've ever seen miniature painting in a movie and I thought this is really the wrong, very similar to the messages, the podcasting movie. This is the wrong way for the hobby to be represented. There are a series of documentaries that touch, well, the Dwarvenaut is a good example of this. But yeah, it's very difficult for people to understand the archetype of a wargamer. And honestly, I'm not a wargamer. I mean, my friend is coming from Australia, which is another topic that was supposed to be in here somewhere. Let me roll up and get that. Um, and he's the only other wargamer that I know that I would socialize with or even play wargames with. It's a very strange community. And a lot of it is based in the UK. And I mean, the, in the US, so when I moved to Vegas, for example, I met a guy who was an expat Brit who wargamed. And I spent a bit of time with him. But he was a power wargamer. I am not a power wargamer. So he'd get really angry through the games. And I was just like, no, sorry, I'm just going to back away. <laughs> it's been nice talking to you, but we're really not friends. Let's just keep this thing in bay. <laughs> like, I do not want to play any kind of game with you. Sorry, it's not been nice knowing you. Well, thankfully, I moved to the other side of town. There are ways that I did it politely. But for me, it, when people get angry associated with these things, this is the exact opposite to, it's like the D&D night, right? Constructing the D&D night is about bringing people together in a really easygoing and free environment and getting them externalizing themselves. It's cathartic. Any kind of negative emotion and anger and anything associated with that, I'm just like, no, this is not the way I do things. I'm sorry. I had a topic associated with house guests. I have a friend who I've known from childhood. I've mentioned him many times in this podcast. He is coming to stay with me January, February next year. He came to stay previously for three weeks. This is slightly longer. He's met my wife. He's a very particular childhood friend who I don't have a lot of friends in general, like in terms of like you have people that you know and you associate with all the time. I mean, Webby, for example, even though, you know, not the same age group. For me, I'd much rather be a recluse in a lot of this. And it's interesting because in my area, there are probably about a dozen model railroaders who I would see once every six months, maybe. I don't go outwardly to kind of meet people. But for me, house guests are a really big thing. And part of it is associated with my childhood. My father is still an academic. And the academic thing is that you always have house guests. Like, when, because academics are normally poor. <laughs> Whenever they travel, they stay with other <laughs> academics. So we always had these crazy academics coming and staying with us, including, like, really strange people who've appeared on... <laughs> <laughs> who are now marked, you know, known people in various communities. I need not talk too much about some of the house guests we have had as a child. So for me, having house guests is really important. In fact, two of the rooms in our house are designated. My podcasting room is one of them for being 
like when guests come to stay, they'll have these rooms. I think at most we've had, have we had six people stay with us? I think we've had four people stay with us. Do you have people to stay? Is that something that you do? Uh, I've had like three people stay, but not, uh, not roommates. I've had roommates, mm. but well, roommates <laughs> like, are different. Roommates but, are different. Yeah, but I've definitely had three people stay and basically live here for mm. an extended period just oh, because they needed to kind of needed that, you know, or we're in a position where it was like, okay, I can't rent a place cause I'm going to be moving on in a couple months mm. and this place isn't ready yet. So, but yeah. Yeah, it was fun. I, I had a good time. It actually, it actually worked out good for all the situations. Interesting. You know, Interesting. yeah, but never. I don't really have anybody come and stay. But um, and it seems the older I get, the less, the less that happens. But yeah, no, I had three people. Uh, I was thinking about that question, and I was like, oh yeah, so and so, so and so, so and so. I was like, oh, those were some good times. <laughs> I was like, I was like, I. Yeah. I was like, I, let's film some stuff while you're here. I got a new character <laughs> in the house. Once you open your house up, you have a series of house guests that you have no control over. And it's interesting, actually, because we've had pretty mixed bags associated with house guests. My father's second wife came and stayed with us for a few days. I've not been able to explain to her properly. I've talked a little bit associated with the penthouse that she lives in. This is a woman that gives really bad advice to everyone. And it's like really grating advice. She stayed with us for just under a week, I think. She didn't interact with me in conversational terms at all. She has this view of me when I was a 14-year-old boy. She never interacts, like, she constantly talks, but she's not actually interacting with you. She was an extreme house guest, and it was a very interesting period. On my birthday, actually, we, I took the day off, and she was still here, and we took her to Berkeley. She was going to Berkeley a couple of days later, and I just said, look, for my birthday, let's go to Berkeley, and we'll just drop you off. And <laughs> you can stay with the people you're supposed to be staying with in Berkeley for the remaining time. <laughs> this is a great birthday gift for me. So we went out to Berkeley. <laughs> she nominally, she doesn't pay for anything, so she nominally bought me dinner that I then had to leave the tip for, and then we delivered her to her friend's house in the Berkeley Hills. These people, the Berkeley folk, were really, really interesting. The <laughs> We went in. It's a beautiful house on a hillside. The first thing that you're greeted with when you enter the house is a full-size plaster cast of the wife naked. And you just don't have these kind of experiences outside Northern California. Like, my wife said to me after, the, after doing this, how did you know it was his wife? And I said, as a man, I can tell you it was his wife. I don't need to tell you anymore. It was just clearly his wife. <laughs> oh. Anyway, so we left my stepmother there and we escaped. But yes, um, we've had other bad house guests while we've actually even been here. And it's really interesting. The people that just stay slightly too long, that's a particular pet peeve of mine. And obviously my stepmother was a good example of this. But we, I don't know. I don't really get a sense of your house. I used to think I had a sense of your house, but I don't have a sense of your house anymore. And we um, live very, we have a single bathroom upstairs. We have a, a house behind that my friend who's coming from Australia wants to live in. I wouldn't put anyone in that house. We're still recovering from the fecal geyser experience. Oh, <laughs> um, dude. So that whole area is just like, when I go in there, it's a um, particular hazard experience only. But yeah, for me, house guests are always associated with like a series of adventures and stuff that have to go on. But my friend who I've known since childhood 
he's a very particular house guest and yeah he's, he's quite a character he, he might actually appear on attic aficionados we might work out some way because two months is an awfully long time for me to lock myself in a room for a couple of hours i had an addiction okay which yeah. i thought i had cured which was going to typically Barnes and Noble and buying a shitload of magazines. And I haven't been to Barnes and Noble for a couple of years now, but we went to Barnes Ooh. and Noble today. Oh, okay. okay. And I bought a shitload of magazines. But one magazine that I wanted to talk to you about, because you have mentioned it previously, <laughs> is associated with paintballing. Now, you own what they call in these parts of the world a paintball marker, right? A paintball marker? It's the gun. That's the gun, right? They call uh, it a I marker figured. It, yeah. Yeah. It's uh, a hitman custom 98 right mm. yes i think that's what it is 98 99 yeah that's it if that's my dream paintball marker the tom of i don't know maybe 10 years ago was like drooling quietly in the corner yeah there, there was no other paintball marker like worthy of owning interesting how much fun is it uh i only went out and paintballed like competitively one time mm. and that was like we just went in the woods at this good spot. I never went to like an official, like, you know, um, and then, you know, we've played around other times, but I went out and these guys all had like, I remember these guys had like really like good guns that shot way farther. So I was like pretty far from this one guy. And we were both behind big trees that we could mm-hmm. easily hide behind. And um, his paintballs were like whizzing by the tree. And I would like, shoot one out and it would like barely get to him and mm. i was like this is pointless but um i got shot on the in the hand in mm. the first like 10 seconds mm. and <laughs> but we were just like you know just you'd be out and then you know just go go to the back of the at the end and then kind of work your way up so we were we were playing it was cool because it was in the fall mm-hmm. and there was tons of leaves down we were in this woods and there was like these trenches like just were there and they were filled with leaves so guys were like hiding in them it was like really mm-hmm. cool and um yeah it was fun but I, we didn't have like any of the right equipment i remember <clears throat> i took a padded envelope i was oh, like no. i gotta protect the crotch area it's like crucial and the yeah. eyes so i had yeah. goggles yeah um but i didn't have any kind of helmet on and my friend's brother was like way up high and i was like down low of course like a fool he shot me right on top of the head i was like oh my god that hurts dude and then i took a padded envelope stuffed it with leaves and then took off the adhesive peel and stuffed it down my pants and stuck it to the front of me and i got shot right there and that thing saved me i was like oh i was like oh they all laughed when i was stuffing the envelope but haha i was very good yeah but it was it was definitely cool but i've definitely had more fun just playing around just shooting like different things and like um filming it you know yeah yeah i always like film it they used to have like, I remember going in, like, Sports Authority and, like, some other local stores, like Models. They had red paintballs filled mm. with red paint. Mm. And they were – you could just get them. And I remember having, like, buckets of them and thinking, <sighs> oh, I'll always be able to get them. And now it's like you, I, you can't find them anywhere. If wow. you can, I'm sure somebody has them online. Yeah. I don't look. But, um, yeah, I just, like, luckily bought that Tipman like mm. forever i just was at a place and the people were real helpful and they were like this one's really good and i'm like okay it's like the cheapest one i can get and mm. i'm going to use this thing like 10 times so i ended up getting it it was it was cool i'm and i've always like dude uh, i don't always take care of everything but i took care of that so i'm like yeah it's it's cool it's so hard to get the tanks filled like yeah. i had to drive like so far to get the tanks filled like 
if you're going to get your paintball tank filled, I highly recommend you call ahead and make sure the tank is func- the tank's functioning because oh, yes. I've been so many places where it's like I show up and they're like, our tank's broken. And then I'm like, oh, wait, it's broken like for months. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so um those kind of stores are always like that though. I mean there are so many stores that I go to where I have an anticipation that these guys really if they weren't selling whatever they're selling, there's no way they could have any other jobs in the world. Like their whole job is like doing that one thing, but they don't do it well enough that they can kind of continue or like so it's a very interesting yeah I've always thought about paintballers it's one of these hobbies where i've historically only bought magazines for it i've done it over a period of time when i worked at a particular company that i'm not going to mention i had a previous manager and he always promised that we'd go to paintballing he never delivered so i bought 30 dollars worth of paintballs and the plastic cases filled them up and left them on everyone's desk just as like a joke and i moved a few times and the paintballs spilled out they were blue paintballs uh, and my wife got really pissed off because <laughs> some of them exploded at later dates and things like that. But it's one of these things where I've always been interested. And then I get the magazines. Be Real, the rapper from Cypress Hill, was like a professional paintballer for a period of time. And it was a, it's one of these strange things where there's a particular kind of guy that's a paintballer, right? And I'm not really sure if I'm that guy, but it just looks like a hell of a lot of fun. Yeah, you know what? I always liked using the paintball gun to shoot like... um. You fill a balloon with blood and shoot that on you for filming. It works great because you can take the ball out in like a frame and Mm. then, you know, it's because you don't I don't have squibs, (laughs) you know, like and and I don't I don't like when the blood is like a mist, you know, like the digital blood. It's always a mist now. Like, is it really a mist when when that happens? I don't know. Whatever. But um, I shot this scene with Lee. And another friend of mine, and it was freaking freezing out, mm. and I needed to have a blood pack explode. So we do everything, and then we get all set, and uh, we're in my my. Um, I have this old diesel Mercedes that is like fa- oh, the bumper's gonna fall off. My bumper's gonna oh, fall off. I love but, those diesel Mercedes. Cool. Yeah, it was like it was passed to me, and mm. it is it. But anyway, we're in that. It fit the scene, and the barrel. It was so cold. The barrel shrank and mm. the paintball was <laughs> freezing yeah i couldn't get them out and i was like mm. we got to shoot this we're like parked illegally we're not supposed <clears> to be here and so i remember we got in the car we fired it up and we're just like warming up the car but the heat doesn't work too good so i just was like holding the barrel going <laughs> into it you know and like spitting in it to clean out the barrel we had like nothing and i was like find anything so we got some motor oil and like lubed up the barrel and then we got one shot off and it worked awesome but it was a good time with lee doing that but that's a a good use of a paintball marker which i didn't know they were called that's what apparently they legally have to be called at least in the state of california moving on (laughs) moving on when when i was a young boy in fact through my whole university career it always interested me how people met their spouses it's something which i've carried on how did you meet your wife uh at a super bowl party wow yeah just uh yeah, at a Super Bowl party. Uh, you know what? I think the Patriots were playing the Rams. Mm. And I, you know what? No, that was a different one. That was with Gunner. Oh, sweet Gunner. <laughs> no, that was with Gunner because we were screaming for the Rams to get beat because mm-hmm. everybody was 
Yeah, loving Kurt Warner. Anyway, that's another story. Um, but it was a Super Bowl party. Interesting. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, yeah, so the meeting was better than the game because I can't remember the game. Very good. Very yeah, good. I, I made a joke about the movie Shrek. Well, that times and, it. Uh, yeah, because there there was an Incredible Hulk movie, not Eric Bana or oh yes, uh, definitely. Uh, no, I like Eric Bana. It might have been the Ed Norton or the Eric Bana one. Either mm. way, the Hulk looks so bad. Mm. And um, I had the commercial came on, and I had said like, dude, the Incredible Hulk looks like Shrek, and she laughed a lot at that, and that kind of was like an icebreaker to start talking. Very good. So if that's you about like it. Eric Bana, I like Eric Bana. Look at his early work in Australia. He did a lot of cross-dressing stuff. It is just hilarious. <laughs> I seen uh, his Chopper. He's in oh, Chopper, yeah. Ch- right? Chopper, Chopper is his latest stuff. He has this character with a mullet, and then he did a series of female characters that were very similar to the character with a mullet. He he cut his teeth in comedy in Australia, and it was funny actually seeing him in serious films. I mean, he's in Munich and various other things. It's funny seeing him in serious films because I still remember him with the mullet. Obviously, he's in Chopper. Chopper is just... He's in Black Hawk Down, right? Yeah, he is. He is. Yeah. The thing about Chopper is the actual guy is far more interesting. There's a video on YouTube of Chopper's last recorded interview where he just basically says, all the stories are crap. I killed all those people. I don't give a fuck. I'm dying of cancer. And that's his interview. Well, I mean, he talks more detailed about how he killed various people. But the whole thing is, ah... you know, through his life in the Chopper movie, it's all, ah, oh, I was accused, wrongly accused. I did a bunch of stuff, but I was wrongly accused. His final interview before he dies is like, I killed that fucking son of a bitch. And then he goes through all this other stuff about how, like, Matt murdered random people that no one even knew about and all this kind of, kind of stuff. Chopper as a character, an Australian icon. I have to re- recommend, and this is a horrible film, but if you like, if you have this vision of Adelaide, Brandon, there's a movie called Snowtown, which is about the outskirts of Adelaide. My grandparents, my father's parents, actually lived in Elizabeth, where Snowtown is filmed. It is the... I love Snowtown, because Snowtown shows me parts of Australia that you never see. And there's also something about Australian serial killers, which is so different than American serial killers. There's also a transgender character in Snowtown, which just... Australian transgender folk are just a particular kind of people. I've got friends that are of, of this ilk, and they're just so funny. But it's a really serious movie about a series of murders, but it is well worth seeing. I've got to thoroughly recommend Snowtown to anyone listening in, just as a sideline. Are you interested how I met my wife, or should we just continue the next? <laughs> oh, I was I was waiting for that. Okay. So back in the heady period of time where I was losing weight, I told you about the woman who was killed in a plane crash. So I was just in a really strange place. I had my Australian folk not sending me any money anymore. I had no means, and I was hanging out with Wozniak and his people. Wozniak's people had this thing going on. They had a series of things going on. Uh, They were doing stuff with uh, John Romero, who had done the Wolfenstein ID games, uh, Quake and this kind of stuff. But they were heading down to LA. Wozniak was constantly pitched ideas. He was, because he was a multi, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars, he was constantly being pitched startup ideas. And actually, one of the things that I did with his team was acted as a filter for a lot of the stuff. At the time, he was being pitched a comedy website. I probably don't even need to say the name down in L.A. And headed down to L.A. uh, I was just, as it was illustrated, extremely thin, neurotic, surrounded by all these tech people, not sleeping properly, 
just living this life, which was really a nightmare. I mean, it was like my childhood dream to spend time with Wozniak and do all the startup stuff, but the reality was completely different to the dream. Staying in some hotel in LA, the woman who checked me in was flirtatious. And I'd forgotten that women even existed in this world. <laughs> like, my life was just not about this stuff. And she said to me, do you like Mexican food? And I said, yeah, why not, you know? She said, well, yeah, I get off and there's a Mexican place across the road. I was like, okay, you know. <laughs> we went out and had Mexican meal. And it was just like real people again, like humans. And I went back up to the... Well, seriously, but I went back up to the Bay Area. We continued to correspond by email, talk on the phone, what have you. She invited me to Christmas with her family. So I went back down and met her family and repaired the kids' toys. I fixed the family piano and actually played Christmas music on the family piano. Did all these human things that I could do. Like I was a human. I wasn't some <laughs> automata that didn't sleep and didn't eat and was working all this crazy crap for nothing. And yeah, it was just like a turning point in my life. And... Never looked back. Uh, she came to the UK. I left the US pretty rapidly because there wasn't a lot going on. Came to the UK. We got married in the UK and that was that. But yeah, it's a funny thing because I never had like a sense of like there are two pathways available to me. This one pathway, which is the pathway that I thought would be the right way. And then this other pathway, which is marrying my wife. <laughs> <laughs> and that was really what it was like. But it was a really surreal period of time because yeah. I mean, I felt literally rescued in the whole circumstance. There was a bunch of other crap that went on, particularly Warsaw X people. But yeah, just like night and day. And, you know, this is the direction that I want my life to go. Thank you very much. <laughs> Questions. Yes. Uh, advice for new videographers. I feel there's a responsibility here. I'm not a videographer. But there seems to Me be neither. a series of things that you do, <laughs> like on a regular basis. You don't actually put it up to YouTube as frequently. But what advice would you have to the folks listening in that might be interested in, at least, I mean, look, onionized stuff indicates that clearly we have some very talented listeners. What kind of advice would you give them? Do whatever you want. Very good. Do it yourself. Don't worry about what you're recording on. Don't worry about what anybody else says. Oh, just, just tape it. And if you want to edit it and do it, then do it. If not, don't. But it doesn't matter the quality. <laughs> you know? The qualities in the content, I guess, is what I would say. And um, just enjoy it, uh, most of all. If you don't enjoy it, then don't do it. Very you know? good. Yeah. Very good. This is a strange and rambling topic, which you've obviously already read through in the notes, but I'm going to frame it this way. Our mutual friend Artweb is not going to be able to attend D&D &D night for the next few months. Art has become a central character in my life, as he clearly was in your life, but you have other web-related people around you, too. And I was I was thinking about this because I go back periodically and certainly podcast audio I go back and listen to. And you've described that you have literally hundreds, if not thousands of hours of video of Art and his father and a bunch of other folk. Do you ever go back and just watch that stuff? Yeah. Um, once in a while I do. I'll, I'll, yeah, I totally do. I'll just pick out different... Um well, not so much random. I'll I'll probably like think of something, you know, like that thing I shot with Lee I was telling you about. And then uh, I had watched that recently, which had some other stuff tie in. And then that'll remind me of something else. And I'll go and check out that. And then I may edit some of it. I may not. But, you know, it's, mm. uh, you know, it's just time actually recorded. So if I don't do anything with it, it's uh, sometimes the outtakes are just, you know, they're just home movies to me. Interesting. You know, and uh 
home movies with a lot of people wearing wigs. You know, it's funny uh, who put like um, these wigs on Lendon and like Gunner and myself. And then, you know, you'd run I know, like 30 different hideous cheap wigs and then say garbs like oh man i've been this character so many times i said well turn the wig backwards then let's see how you look and i said this is unbelievable so I put this wig on the back on linden uh, on gunner backwards and i was like you're like a whole new man he's like i am man it's <laughs> like great but yeah i do go back and uh i watch him on occasion and um especially now because it's harder to get everyone together you know this was my question really families you know yeah. and uh it's difficult but um you know, I, those guys, and I'm grateful to all of them, Gunner, Lendon, Ted, Art, Lee, they're like, I mean, Art, Ted, and Lee basically kind of let me, I mean, not only did they let me use their house to shoot at, but they also, Ted, like my, my father always had Apple computers, but mm. Ted had Apple computers. And when I lived with him, he was like, here's like an editing program. Here's iMovie. Here's <laughs> Adobe Premiere. And yes. like, here's sort of how it works. And I was like, Dude, this is freaking awesome. Can I use your computer? And then I just was like, ah, ah, this is this is awesome. You know, yeah. like um, yeah, actually when I was at um, Westchester University, they were still – you had to like book time to edit from VHS to VHS, you yeah. know. And uh, I was like, oh, dude, I'm going to go back and uh, edit on – it was a Power Mac G4. Yeah, is yeah. that the name of the yep. laptop? So, they were like yep. Pismo. It was yep. a Pismo. Yep. Yeah. That that um I remember huddling in the basement just so I could get the sound better. And I was it was actually Lee's laptop. They they let mm. me borrow, but it had firewire and I was like, this is freaking awesome. But those guys, they all are all to this day, they're always like, dude, if you want to film something, like we'll come over. And I'm like, okay, awesome. Like it's 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 <laughs> I'm beyond grateful for that. So you know. Yeah, but there's um yeah, there's lots of memories recorded. Yeah, totally. Totally. I love it's that. It's interesting stuff. actually because I increasingly I've got very little media and I move forward increasingly. I mean, there are podcasts that are out there. Historically, occasionally I go back and listen to it. But the problems associated with backing up and storing media for me, and there are various periods of time where I just lose media. I found a series of photos that I took in 2002, my wife and I, when we were in the UK and just a family meal and, and my father and brothers and stuff. And this is very rare for me because I've just lost everything in part through travel, in part through, I mean, I have backup strategies, but it's always associated with source code and immediate audio and this kind of stuff. But it's funny because occasionally I'll have these little slivers of memories, but I've got a lot of audio recorded. And some of it I'll go back to, but some of it I won't. And it's the whole notion of, like, what is this thing versus a memory? And is it better to have a memory or is it better to go back and actually, you know, in your case, watch, in my case, listen? And, yeah, it's strange. It's very strange the way these things kind of evolve. The final thing I wanted to talk about associated with this is the notion of Webby Peppers. I'm fascinated by Webby Peppers as a story more than a, a plant, right? Growing these things. Now, I've now got proper-sized bushes with peppers, and they're really working all guns blazing. But the Webby Pepper, for me, is the story associated with Webby Pepper. Like, this will mean that I'll grow them next year. I'll probably grow them the year after. But they're not normally something that I would grow or enjoy growing just because of the initial problems. But the story behind them is actually <laughs> what motivates them to continue who exist, from my perspective, at least, and I'll continue to do it. And that's why I find really fascinating... You can have this plant where the story around it is more <laughs> than the plant itself and will probably cause the plant to propagate more because of the story around it. Anyway, 
Yeah, no, I agree. But you know what? You're missing a crucial element. So um, you you need the uh, proper environment to eat them in. It's got to be the fall, and it's yeah. got to be out here. It's got to be like cold and smoky out, and then you got to yeah. put football on. Okay. <laughs> and that's what you need. You can't just eat those in hot San Jose. Uh, ugh. What are you thinking, Tom? <laughs> I don't know. I'm not going to eat them yet. I was looking at them currently. They're still in the very early lime green phase. I have these Thai chilies that have gone jet black currently, and they're still not ready to eat. Like, I would pluck them off the bush and eat them now, but they are still not ready to eat. So the Webby Peppers, I think, I'm actually anticipating probably around the time of the road trip, actually, if, if, based on the length of time these things have taken to grow into bushes and stuff. I think I'll probably have a, you know, a couple of bags full that I can bring on the road trip. But oh, yeah. Honest. You got to get, um, ask Lee exactly what he does to um, pickle them. But he does use, I believe he uses apple cider vinegar and a little bit of sugar. Yeah. And I don't, I, but I've always just seen him do it and I try to copy that. And it does yeah. get the same, same flavor. I don't know if that's hard to do. Whatever, but, but uh, yeah, it's back to painting, I think, for me. Oh, uh, nice. I had one Dude. last thing to say, but we don't. Oh, we'll no, no, save go it ahead, go ahead. We'll save no, no, go ahead, go ahead. There's, would, well, well would... let me say this. <laughs> There's a scene in Goodfellas that's stuck in my head, and <laughs> it's when they're feeding the dog under the table. Do you know that scene? Oh. It's like later in the movie. Yeah, uh, yeah. You know, and Henry's brother's there, and they're eating yeah. dinner, and of it's course, right before, it's before he goes, the yeah. Big bust. yeah. Yeah, and so he, she says, stop feeding the dog and and the kid says i i have to like it's sort of quiet but the daughter says i have to and she's like you don't have to it's so awesome but it's like, i don't want to paint right now but you have to i'm like yes i do have to <laughs> one last thing one last yeah. thing one slither of joy that you gave me one of the reasons that i record this podcast is to bring back memories you mentioned the words bend over last recording associated with the particular vhs tape that you had not returned and when you said it it didn't do anything to me when i listened to it when i was editing it's like that's the guy's name and the context was that i remember bend over in exactly the same context because the whole thing associated with him is not normally in my remit but he used to make r-rated porn movies which i'm not sure in the u.s whether they had to sell r-rated or rent r-rated porn movies in the dvd aisle but I remember seeing it briefly as a 19-year-old boy in the DVD aisle and just thinking, that's the guy's name. Now, I didn't even put that together. 21 I... years later, <laughs> I was just thinking, it's, that's the guy's name. And the only way that I knew about it was because, again, in some CD blockbuster in Canberra, Australia, I uh, saw that guy's name. And 21 years later, the memory comes back to me editing this podcast audio. Dude. A variety of other topics, but we can. Oh, can we just please just one last topic? One last. Topic. Yeah. Yes. 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 Oh no, there's another good topic there. This is bad. Let me let me see what I can do here. Five minutes or less, I promise. <laughs> places to visit in Westchester. We've talked about a few of them. Any other places that I need to put in my dot points and maps? The train place, the book place. Uh, You're down with sushi. Picture. Down with sushi. Yeah, we'll go get sushi. Uh, okay. We'll, we'll all go out to dinner while you're here. Got to do that because you need something good to eat while you're uh, doing your road trip. I think um, my wife probably will do her own thing because she's got a lot of stuff planned. But, yeah, wherever and whenever we can we can work that out. Yeah, and, either way. Yeah. One final topic, which will literally be the final topic. I promise. 
we'll cover in other things. One of the things I really like about our discussions is the fact that you call me Thomas. My grandmother of previous discussion fame is the only other living adult or the only other adult in memory that has ever referred to me as Thomas. But the reverence with which you call me Thomas, and Tomcat as well, I like that as well. But Thomas <laughs> is just, I'm wondering if I need to, as an adult now, a 40-year-old adult, re-embrace this name, which I have distanced myself from, from my entire life. Yeah, it's a, it's a good name, and there's even a, I know it's a different name, but Tomas. And I'm not into that. I was that, yeah. I was that the first time I came to this country through <laughs> Sprint. They just spelt my name wrong on the Sprint bill. And every time I called about phone service, they started talking to me in Spanish. Not that. But anyway. Okay. Yeah. It's uh, just been a pleasure as always, Brandon. I'll let oh, you man, get likewise. I wish Have a good wouldn't. evening. When we talk <laughs> next time, no doubt we'll fill in the remaining topics. Sounds Have good. Have a great week. Talk to you, you soon. Too. Take care. Cheers.